0: I'm Steph.
1: And I'm Jeff. Each week, we review a film that's streaming online.
0: As writers, we'll deep dive into the characters and plot to tell you if it's a good story.
1: Listen at your own risk. This review contains spoilers.
0: Now sit back, relax, and enjoy on. Today, we'll be reviewing Chinatown, streaming on Pluto.
1: It is Los Angeles in the 1930s. Jake is a private investigator who is hired by a woman to see if her husband is having an affair. He soon finds that nothing is as it seems. As Jake is engulfed in a tempest of money and power, will he become the next victim?
0: Chinatown was directed by Roman Polanski and written by Robert Towne. It's inspired by the Southern California water wars of the 1930s. The film stars Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddies, a private investigator. Faye Dunaway as Evelyn Cross Mulray, the wife of a powerful water department chief, Hollis Mulray. John Huston as Noah Cross, Evelyn's father and also a powerful water tycoon. Diane Ladd as Ida Sessions, a working girl hired to impersonate Evelyn, and Perry Lopez as Lieutenant Escobar, the detective trying to solve the crime. So Jeff, you chose this film. What made you pick Chinatown?
1: I chose Chinatown for some very straightforward reasons. It has a great cast, witty dialogue, really good pacing, a nice interesting multi-layered story it is a wonderful love letter to film noir and it's the kind of film that and it is a movie everyone should see
0: so you picked it because you knew you liked it already
1: yes i just love this movie this is probably the eighth or ninth time that i've seen it i find it endlessly both interesting and entertaining there are certainly some plot issues i will get into but this is a great film
0: okay great well let's get into it uh in terms of the plot analysis, what drew you so much to this film?
1: I'm going to start with a tiny thing and build out from that. One thing that's always a challenge for a writer is how do you convey your character is good at something without someone you know, saying that. It's a bit easier when you're writing because you have that internal dialogue. You have the narrator's voice that you can use to convey a person's expertise their competence the way they see the world it's a bit harder in film often in movies you'll have someone say oh you're the best at doing this thing so let's have you do this thing in this film there is a really good scene in which jake is in the office of hollis the person he is following and we see how he looks for clues absorbs information how he manages you know to just kind of weasel is way past the secretary and he's going through this guy's personal belongings in his office and looking for clues and after a while hollis's partner comes in and jake starts trying to get information from him and there's this really neat scene where he scoops up a bunch of the guys business cards off his desk and those business cards later do come in handy when jake has to impersonate this guy to get past like a police um barricade to get to a crime scene all these things though without really anyone saying anything about what a great detective or what a sharp person jake is or how he's planning a few steps ahead no one has to say that we see how that happens
0: show don't tell one of the classic things you want to do as a good storyteller
1: well there are a number of scenes in this movie that rely on that on how jake looks at his environment and is able to drive clues from it and we don't have necessarily dialogue telling us what he is seeing we as the viewers get a bit of insight into how he sees the world purely through the visuals which again yeah it's great storytelling or great at least it's great cinematic storytelling but even though it's great cinematic storytelling it also leads to some of the problems in this movie so would you like to get into the plot problems
0: Sure, let's get into it. What are some of the problematic elements for you?
1: The setup for the story is that Jake is hired by a woman claiming to be Hollis's wife, Evelyn. She says that he is having an affair, and she wants Jake to get some information, get some evidence of this. Jake does that. There are some scenes of him tracking down Hollis and following around. But he also finds out that the one who approached him is an imposter, He contacts the real Evelyn, played by Faye Dunaway, and he then has to start digging in deeper because the information he got makes him look bad because he was played. So the movie is now him trying to figure out what the bigger plot is. And it gets into water rights and some shady real estate stuff and basically power politics in Los Angeles. There are some problems here, though. This is supposed to be a whodunit where you're following the protagonist as he is gathering clues that will then lead logically to the next step in the story. There are a number of moments in the movie, though, where he is handed something and done in a fairly clunky way. I'll bring two of them up. The first is when the woman who impersonates Evelyn calls him up out of the blue and gives him a key piece of information about how he can then figure out what the bigger plot is specifically about the real estate, the land deal. The problem is she describes herself as just a prostitute hired to do a job. It's not clear why she would know the details of a fairly secret real estate deal being perpetrated by Evelyn's father, Noah. So that's the first one. There is a second I will bring up, but I was interested if just in general, you found any plot holes like that. Was there anything that stood out as problematic?
0: Well, I would say that. ida sessions thing did stand out to me because if you are the mastermind behind an elaborate water land grab as well as murder right because you know you are also the person that murdered evelyn's husband hollis right if you are that skilled at being you know a villain and a mastermind behind all this to get away with murder and a water land grab that's happening and all this corruption you would be skilled enough to make sure that this street worker that you are hiring to impersonate someone doesn't know much more than just, here's some money, I'm going to give you a lot of money, do this job. And so that 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 did stick out to me too as something to just, oh, okay, they're going to drop this to help move the story along so Jake gets the clue he needs to go down this trail.
1: This does bring up an issue of expecting a reader or viewer to suspend disbelief. Almost all fiction has some level of suspension of disbelief. And this is something we talk about fairly frequently on this show. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, within the context of a whodunit, it is harder to suspend disbelief when you have a character who provides a key piece of the puzzle. And again, what Ida provides is not just some secondary clue. It's critical for Jake to be able to move forward and for the story to be able to move forward. And she does it from a position where there is no rational reason that she would know that information unless it is spelled out in the story why she has that particular piece of information, which it is not in this film.
0: You needed Ida's character fleshed out more that maybe she was deeper into it and had been used in the past for things to help move Noah's master plot along. Like you, you would have had to flesh out her character more for that to make sense. You would just need something there, a scene that that had it where she overheard something. And that's why she knew to be able to share that information.
1: Right. Either one of those would have been fine ways to explain why she has this information. And her motives are pretty clear. She's, you know, can be that she's concerned about her safety now. And she wants to give this stuff to Jake and by extension the cops to protect her, which, you know, reasonable motivation, but we just do not know how she has this information. And that's a significant problem. Before I bring up the second really important plot hole that I found in Chinatown, I did want to say that not all plot holes are the same. Some are minor, some actually fit with established character traits. So Maybe something where you have to suspend your disbelief, but it's something that works in the context of the story or the character that we've been given. A good example is a James Bond film that I just rewatched, Quantum of Solace, in which Bond is able to charm this airline desk attendant to basically lying about where he was flying to and you know there's the moment when he's talking to her and clearly she's immediately taken with him because he's James Bond it's a plot point and it's not completely unimportant but we've already established through the long history of Bond films that he's able to get women to basically do whatever he wants right it works within the context of that story it is hard to suspend disbelief however when the pothole in question is something that is key to the story moving forward. And when it does not seem to fit within the context of the world that your story has set up, there's no particular reason why this you know, working girl would know this information or why she would then give it to Jake. Could have all been taken care of with the examples you gave of how to fill in these holes. It just wasn't done. And all that leads to the second plot hole, which is another key piece of information that Jake needs to move the story forward. Jake goes to Hollis and Evelyn's home, which is a mansion with a pond in the backyard. The first time he's there, he sees something shiny in the water. It's not clear what it is. He is going to go fish it out but then evelyn comes into the backyard and the two of them start talking hollis is dead at this point we later find out that he had salt water in his lungs jake initially thought that he died while inspecting an aqueduct the salt water kind of throws some doubt on that theory and he thinks that perhaps he was killed on the beach killed in the pacific ocean near the end of the film when we have probably about 15 to 20 minutes left in the movie, so it's deep in the third act. Jake goes back to the mansion, and he's trying to find Evelyn, but she is gone. And the staff is basically locking the house down. What is important is that Jake goes into the backyard. There's a gardener there. We have seen him before. He is constantly complaining about an issue with the pond that is killing the grass. The problem is that Jake is, at this point, not really interacting with this gardener. And he's getting ready to walk away. And the gardener then says, without prompting, that the pond is full of salt water. At that point, of course, Jake clues in on what may have happened. He goes, finds that the object he saw days before are actually a pair of glasses. This leads him to conclude that Hollis was killed in the pond. It is a bit clunky, however. You have a random character who is talking to themselves, who blurts out a piece of key information. And even though he's been shown to be fairly diligent about keeping the grounds clean, about maintaining the pond, which again, we've seen him complain about before, didn't manage to remove a pair of glasses, which are clearly visible to anybody walking around. If this was not a key piece in the puzzle, it wouldn't be as obvious, as a, or as egregious, but this really gets Jake into that, you know, the final part of his, what he thinks happened and how he thinks Hollis was killed and who potentially killed Hollis. Therefore, it is a important piece of the entire puzzle, and for it to be spurred by a character talking to themselves, and to hinge on finding some physical evidence that, based on a little bit we've already seen of this character in earlier scenes, probably should have been cleaned out days ago. It's not a great way to wrap up your Who Dunit story. If not wrap it up, because we still have a bit more to go to figure out what really happened, but to get your protagonist into that final part of your story, getting ready for the climax. It's not a very natural way for this to happen. And unlike other elements of this film, which rely on Jake's skills of observation and all that, this comes across as just more Happenstance.
0: Well, and they kind of use a, they, well, not kind of, they do use an Asian stereotype in that whole scene because the gardener says it's bad for the glass versus grass because of how he's pronounced he's Japanese and it's how he's pronouncing it. And there's glasses in the pond that are the final clue. So it gets into this, you know, look at the stereotypical portrayal of Asian Americans um, you know, in this film. Uh, so.
1: Yes, it definitely is in some stereotyping. Although, you know, as far as the plot point, it doesn't really matter. It really was just, it could have been stereotyping or not. It's just clunky either way. I think that if the film didn't have such a good cast, generally engaging dialogue and a good pace, these just stand out more than they do now.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a weak part of this writing is that it sort of, Force the story along when they couldn't figure out a more subtle baked in way of doing it it's okay we're gonna have the glasses be in the pond and have the gardener mess up the pronunciation to remind him that they're there and so the other thing I thought was that was poorly written that's that's related to this was in terms of Jake's character I found him to be inconsistent so sometimes he's a really good detective and other times he spoon fed clues and they set him up to be this cop that you know really tried to help clean up chinatown and became traumatized by the whole thing and then started his own you know private eye business um but that he really was a good guy that's trying to you know help make things right and you know clean up the riffraff around this town and that he's a protector of women, like Evelyn, for example. And that they put him in this protagonist hero role. But then there's a scene that's really disturbing and, and bugged me that when he's trying to get Evelyn to be straight with him about who she is and what her relationship is with her father and um, her sister, she he... He's yelling at her and he said, you know, tell me the truth. And she's explaining that um, this girl is both her sister and her daughter. And, and he gets upset because he feels he's being given an inconsistent story. And he hits her hard. Like it's it's domestic violence, how he treats her. And she then, Evelyn, that is the impetus that this film uses for Evelyn to then confess that Catherine is both her daughter and sister because she was raped by her father, Noah, the main villain of this film. And what bothers me about that whole scene is you did not need Jake to all of a sudden become an abuser of women to get that confession out of Evelyn. You could have had her je- had him just continue to grill her verbally, right? Or maybe, you know, hold her close or something or, or say, hey, this clue doesn't add up. You could have done something else to get her there versus him becoming violent towards her. And it really just left a bad taste in my mouth for like Jake's character. I didn't like Jake's character after that because he's no longer this um detective trying to clean up the streets and do the right thing he's now someone that abuses women i mean tell me i'm just curious what like that completely changed things for me about this film i'm just curious your thoughts on that scene and how it fits in with jake's character
1: well i did not have the same negative reaction to that that you did i did have a negative reaction to it just you know, not as pronounced i guess It did seem both out of character for him and completely unnecessary. Why the creative team thought that it would make sense to have Jake turn violent against Evelyn at that moment is mystifying to me. As far as we've seen with his behavior towards women, he seems fairly concerned about their safety. He does not seem to be abusive.
0: I mean, even if you wanted to have him grab her, you know, shoulders or upper arms and shake her a little bit, you could. if you wanted to go and get more physical, you could do something like that. But the hitting her hard across the face was
1: i agree you could have shown his frustration in other ways he's been through a lot in this film and it would make sense for him to be frustrated with her evasiveness but for him to get violent that didn't make much sense
0: and that gets back to my um opinion that he's his character construction is all over the place sometimes he's good at solving the crime and finding the clues and very astute other times he's spoon-fed the clues sometimes he's a protector of women other times he's an abuser of women like it's just very inconsistent and that bothers me about how they built his character
1: well as far as issues with the character what you're pointing out is far more problematic than you know, him being spoon-thread some of the clues he needs. The reason I say that is one could look at this movie and say that the who done it aspects, while oh, they're at the forefront, are not what the story is about. From Jake's point of view, the story is more about him falling back into a pattern of behavior that got him kicked off of the police force years ago. That's when he was a police officer, he was assigned to Chinatown, got into some type of trouble, and from what other characters are saying is very similar to what he's doing to try to help Evelyn clear her name and all that. It is clear whatever it was, it did not turn out well. You can all look at a higher level theme about the corruption of money and power in Los Angeles, and this idea that rich people can get away with anything because Noah gets away with all kinds of horrible things throughout his life, and even at the end of the day.
0: And particularly, you know, white men. Um, because, you you know, you do see examples of um, some racism in this film against Asian Americans, against Jewish people, mistreatment of women, right? That it particularly is powerful white men that get away with things in this film.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a commentary of what Los Angeles and America in general would have looked like in the 1930s.
0: Yeah, exactly. There was blatant racism against japanese and asian american at that time and women did not have the power that men had um so yeah and there was i'm assuming anti-semitism as well like there's a scene where he goes to the old folks home and asks if they take jewish um people and it's very clearly a no
1: in large swaths of America, open anti-Semitism only went out of favor after World War II, after the Holocaust. After that, openly expressing anti-Semitism became much more of a black mark against people. Prior to World War II, it didn't really matter. But it works in the context of the film. It is supposed to be setting up this you know, past world, how things would have been like at that point. And also, I guess, it's a bit of a commentary on all these characters being sort of outsiders and how all the outside groups whether it is religious minorities or racial minorities or people who even if they're white men are not part of the power structure and how they're treated by those who are in the power structure but you're right it's basically a handful of white guys who are in charge of everything
0: well and even the cops look the other way like it's the whole idea of like forget it jake it's chinatown right that they're they just accept the systemic abuse and corruption that's going to exist there. And so they, as cops, have even been trained to look the other way when crimes happen against minorities.
1: Yes. And it goes back to Jake. What are we supposed to feel about him? Is he a crusader who wants to help out people? Or is he just an operator? Is he someone who is somewhere in that power structure, just lower down? And he is just out for himself because there are elements in his character. I think he's a little bit of both. I don't know, and I don't really have a great answer. I do think that what could be seen in other works as character inconsistencies. And this story works for Jake as just different aspects and layers of his character. What did not work, however, was the scene between Jake and Evelyn at the end that we've been talking about as it was both unnecessary and did not seem to be part of his character.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, they do show Jake to have a little racist tendencies when he tells like an off-color joke about Asian Americans. Uh, but I don't know, maybe it was to send the message that everybody's a victim of systemic racism and patriarchy that exists at the time. Everyone but the the powerful white men on top, like Noah. Um, even someone like Jake is susceptible to that and having that negatively influence his character. Because- it's is the MacGuffin here, right, for that deeper message that the film has about the, the, cor- the corruption that is perpetual in a system where patriarchy and racism exist. And it's, it's not something that's easy to get out of, even when someone like Jake, who ostensibly is a good guy, tries, that he becomes corrupted along the way, too. I
1: wonder if Town though, is trying to make some kind of commentary on the power structure and that violence is an inherent part of it particularly violence against the vulnerable and against women the film begins with curly a character played by bert young in jake's office and he finds out that his wife has been having an affair initially it seems like this is just kind of to introduce jake's character this is the end of some casey's head we see how how effective he is as a pi and all that Later in the film, after the police have apprehended Jake and want him to lead them to Evelyn, Curly shows up again. Jake tells the police that Evelyn is hiding with her maid and gives them Curly's address. And he goes there and he's like, I'm going to go in first, let me talk her out. And they're like, fine, because they know him, they're on the force together. And he goes in, has Curly smuggle him out, drive him out in his truck. But we see curly's wife and she has clearly been beaten up all this is taking place from the time that eventually jake is going to confront and use violence against evelyn i wonder if this was kind of showing that jake even though he seems like a bit of an outsider that he's not at the top of the power structure he is a part of it and one way people in the power structure maintain their position wherever it is, even if you're a working guy like Curly or a ex-cop like Jake, is by using violence against those people who aren't in that power structure.
0: Yeah, no, it's the idea that this system is inherently corrupt and everybody loses, even the the white guys lower on the totem pole and, and gets corrupted by it. The only winners, so to speak, are the people like Noah cross, the true vil- the the biggest villains in the story
1: yeah, you know, at one point, we do get Jake talking about now and let the rich guys like Noah get away with it, but how much of that really is just because Jake is not one of those rich guys who can get away with
0: it I would like to talk about the ending a bit, so this film you know is seen as having a really strong ending right and it's a bleak ending it's not your happy ending and when i was doing a little bit of research on the film uh i I found a couple interesting things this isn't the original ending the original ending of the town screenplay was where um Faye Dunaway's character, Evelyn, kills her father, right? And um, then she and Jake, you know, kiss and the sky opens and rain comes down, you know, heralding the end of the drought and it's metaphorically washing away the sins of Chinatown. And it's a a much strong, like, happy ending, right? Um, Where there's strength in these two characters coming together to fight the evil and corruption. Uh, And... Polanski didn't like that ending, so he went in and changed it, and, and I, I found uh, a quote from Polanski about this film that he said later on in life, and I thought I wanted to read it because it's interesting as writers as we think about how to end stories. If it all ended with happy endings, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this film today, If you feel there's a lot of injustice in our world and you want to have people leaving the cinema with a feeling that they should do something about it in their lives, then if it's all dealt with by the filmmakers, they just forget about it over dinner and that's it. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that statement in terms of films having bleaker versus happy endings and not neatly wrapping up a story in terms of using that as a writing technique.
1: Well, as you pointed out on previous episodes, I do like bleak endings, or at least ambiguous endings, which is why I love the ending for this movie. I think having a traditional happy ending would have completely undercut the message that the rest of the story is trying to tell. I agree with Polanski. If this had had a happy ending, if Noah was dead and Evelyn and Jake were kissing, and it looked like they might be the traditional heroes. I'm not sure if we would be talking about this movie today, but I think it'd be more about some good performances and some nice set designs and some good dialogue. But it wouldn't be a standout. That ending is one of the things that help elevate this entire film.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that's, you know, if you think about some of the really strong movies that came out of the 70s, some of the the movies that had bleaker endings tend to be the ones that stick with you. Chinatown, Taxi Driver,
1: Soylent Green. It is people.
0: Yeah. So I mean, there there is something to be said for that, and maybe art imitates life a bit. Because if you think of Roman Pola- Polanski, who is no stranger to troubles, you know, he experienced the injustice of his pregnant wife Sharon Tate being murdered in the Manson murders in 1969. And this film was made a couple years later. So he had his own bleak ending um, as well as if you also think about somebody getting away with a crime and it not being fair and a powerful man getting away with a crime, you can look to Roman Polanski himself who you could argue got away with drugging and raping a 13 year old girl in 1977 and then, was he basically fled the country and while he was awaiting sentencing for that he, he sort of got a plea deal on a lesser charge um but she was 13 um and and he's been living overseas in Europe ever since um so in some ways it very much imitates life of a powerful man getting away with a crime which is how this film ends
1: maybe but we could potentially be reading too much into that. I think the reason for this ending was pretty much what they said. I also think that for a film like this, a more ambiguous or even bleak ending is far more satisfying and suitable. There was a film reviewed earlier, Wind River, and it had a more traditional, happy ending. Happy in the sense that there's a solid one for the good guys, the bad guys are punished. I had issues with that ending For that reason, the film itself was fairly dark, fairly bleak, and then it had this ending that didn't feel earned. I believe it would have been the same with Chinatown if Chinatown had had Noah brought to justice. It would have been an unearned ending. The themes of this film are fairly bleak, and the ending has to reflect that. The ending of Chinatown with Evelyn dead and her sister daughter in Noah's clutches, where it's... Fairly obvious that he is going to be abusing her. It really does fit the film. It fits the story. It is a satisfying ending for the story, even if it's not a happy ending. Also, a happy ending would have made the scene that we talked about for a while, about with Jake and Evelyn, the violence there, would have made that even more incomprehensible.
0: Yeah, agreed. They would have had to not have that abuse scene in to make the happy ending work. What do you think Jake mumbles at the, you know how at the very end, Jake mumbles something after he sees what happened and, you know, Evelyn died and Catherine in the clutches of Noah, the pedophile. It Does he say none of it's possible or it, it's hard?
1: What he says is as little as possible. And it is from a scene earlier in the film when he is talking about his time assigned as an officer in Chinatown as something that, The district attorney said to him
0: as little as possible. I was wondering because he mumbles it and it's hard to tell and it's something possible. So and then you get that famous line, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown that ends the movie on.
1: And he was told this because the D.A. was saying if you the more you get involved, the worse you're going to make things in Chinatown. You're moving into a, you know, a culture, and environment, a power structure, if you will. That you don't understand and can't understand. So inserting yourself into it is just going to make the situation worse than it is. And it is clear that this is at least the second time that he has not followed that advice. He has inserted himself into a world and a power structure that he does not fully understand with tragic consequences. For all his efforts, Evelyn is dead, Noah gets away with everything, and Catherine is in the hands of her pedophile father. At least some of this is because Jake wouldn't just let this go. If Jake had let this go, Evelyn would not have been killed, and there's a good chance Catherine would never have wound up in Noah's clutches. So even in the setting that Jake thinks he has mastery of, moving through the white power structure of Los Angeles as this clever detective, he realizes, no, I'm as much of an outsider here as I would be anywhere else.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Is there anything else that you wanted to point out about this film in our analysis?
1: I did have one other thing. And that's the issue of when and when not to explain things. As a writer, you have to balance giving critical information or provocative information to your reader. But not boring them with so many details that they tune out. Close your book toss it away this film alludes to things and gives a little bit of information about things so that we can piece them together the incident in chinatown with jake we never find out exactly what it is but we can piece together what it was but there is one plot point that really should have been fleshed out a little bit and that involves noah evelyn and Catherine. Specifically, how is it that Noah does not know about his daughter? And by his daughter, I mean Catherine, not Evelyn. He realizes it at the end, but the way it is played at that scene is that he has never actually met her. How is that possible, since he is supposed to have sexually assaulted Evelyn when she was 15, and she obviously gave birth, why is it a big mystery that Catherine is out there it's not a huge problem it doesn't detract from the film but it does seem like a part of the story that should have been given a bit more detail
0: yeah it's like she had the child ran away or something had the child gave it up for adoption i i don't know there's like a lot of like stuff left unsaid about how Catherine was kept a secret and it's again one of those hand wave things where it's like let's move the story along
1: I mean, it's not like Evelyn moved across country and took Catherine with her. and They're living in some small town in Ohio. They live in Los Angeles. You think that Noah at some point would have said, hey, you know that child you had? That's mine. Where is she?
0: Yeah, it would have had to be this secret private adoption or something that we just don't ever hear about. And also the idea of like how... Again, Noah's supposed to be extremely powerful and the mastermind villain behind all this. You would think he would know... Uh, he's very interested in finding Catherine, right? So he know, he knows that Catherine's connected in some way.
1: And you know, we being too critical about this. This could be something we're supposed to assume, that Evelyn did a good job of hiding Catherine, but now the truth is coming out. So... This is one of those things where you're trying to figure out how much information you want to give to the audience. How much is important? How much can we just assume the audience will either figure out themselves or just not care about? But it is something I noticed. I do wish there was some magic formula for writers to figure out these kind of questions, but unfortunately there is not. Other than that, I'm pretty much wrapped up with my plot analysis. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up?
0: Let's wrap this up.
1: Okay. What was your favorite scene in Chinatown?
0: So I really liked the scene that takes place on Catalina Island, um, the Albacore Club scene where they're eating lunch together and th- there's a fish <laughs> dish that's being served and Noah just gives off all these creepy vibes. I believe the fish should be served with the head and you like you zoom in on the fish with the head and he's, he's eating fish and at the same time fishing for information on the investigation from Jake, which I thought was kind of a a funny play on the fishing thing. Uh, And they, it's just well done. It's well acted between the two of them. You can just feel that something's not right with Noah in that scene. And the way that Houston acts it, he purposely mispronounces Giddies' name as gets. He has that threatening tone at one point. You don't know what you're dealing with here. And there's that hyper focus on Hollis's what we think is missing girlfriend, but ends up being Catherine. It's just a very well acted scene between Jack Nicholson and John Houston. What about you, Jeff?
1: Well, first I agree. That was a great scene. And it was close to being the one I was going to pick. It's not easy picking a best scene because So much of the acting is well done. And most of the script is both witty and engaging. There are a lot of great scenes in this film. But I wound up going with the ending for all the reasons we've talked about. And I honestly don't feel like I have to reiterate them. It's just great. It's a great way to end this movie. So what was your least favorite scene? And I think I know what this is.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this one ad nauseum. It's it's when Jake abuses Evelyn. So nothing else I need to say about that one.
1: So I don't have a least favorite scene. My criticisms of this film focus primarily on those plot holes we discussed earlier, where Jake is given important information out of nowhere and in fairly clunky, ham-fisted ways. And it's so jarring given how great a lot of this movie is and how great a lot of the writing is. Okay, Steph. On a scale of 0 to 5, private investigator pandas, what would you rate Chinatown?
0: I gave this a solid four out of five pandas. It's a classic 70s film with a bleak ending about the challenges of fighting a corrupt system. Uh, I thought it was a good exploration of systemic racism and patriarchy at the time. In 1930s Southern California, the bleak ending was very fitting for the genre and message. It just lost a point for me because of that gratuitous violence between Jake and Evelyn that didn't add value to the story. What about you?
1: I also get the Sephora for many of the same reasons. It has great acting, a great script, a lot of different interesting themes, looks great. Even though there are problems with the movie, it is so engaging that it's pretty easy to, if not overlook them, at least forgive them. So, a fabulous film.
0: Okay, we are in agreement. Yeah, down to the decimal, both fours. Um, Okay, so what do we have next week, Jeff?
1: Next week, we'll be checking out Begin Again, currently streaming on Tubi. Stream On is a production of Steph and Jeff Wright's Media. Reproduction without written consent is prohibited. All rights reserved, 2021.